we would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation. Being conflict sensitive is very important, especially if we're implementing activities in a context of conflict, such as Ethiopia. Given the country's complex and diverse ethnic and political and social landscape with various roots, uh, causes of conflicts, we need to understand all of this and then become aware of them so we could implement our activities without exacerbating the existing brokenness or broken relationships between community members or different communities or create new ones over the resources and the services that we provide. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Safa Shaheen is Food for the Hungry's Global Risk and Resilience Lead. She has 13 years of experience in the development and humanitarian sectors. Safa worked in the Syrian conflict and has experience in conflict mitigation, peace building, conflict sensitivity, gender-based violence, and sexual and gender-based violence. She is an active member of the global Do No Harm Trainers Network, Women Waging Peace Network, and the Conflict Sensitivity Hub. In 2012, she founded a women's empowerment initiative in Syria that includes 213 members. Safa holds a BA degree in English Literature from Damascus University and is currently completing a master's degree in the Leadership and Negotiation Program at Bay Path University. Safa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Mm, It's our pleasure. Safa, we begin each of the episodes this season by asking our guests to complete the sentence Poverty is complex because. So I'm very eager to hear how you will finish that sentence given the particular expertise you have. Poverty is complex because it's an outcome of the broken relationship between us, each other, us and ourselves within. Uh, between us and creation, between us and God. Mm-hmm. I have experienced poverty myself. I was poor for a, quite some time. I was a single mother working really hard, and um, I was living in poverty for a while, and I felt that it was a direct outcome of that kind of uh, brokenness and broken mm-hmm. relationship. And it took me a very long time to kind of restore that relationship and to phase out. I have also bared witness to poverty around me, especially after the conflict um, had started in my home country, Syria, Hmm. and how it had exacerbated because of the broken relationship between people, Mm -hmm. between people and their government, and, you know, from like within and that kind of a broken relationship with God where Mm -hmm. people were traumatized and lost and they lost their paths and couldn't find a way out. So you you witness and and you see that kind of poverty even with people that have money because they have that kind of a lost relationship with God and it's like so obvious. 
Mm -hmm. um, that you don't even envy them having that kind of uh, economic stability because of that brokenness and broken relationship between them and their neighbors and their um, relatives and between them and God. Mm-hmm. So poverty could could be complicated because of that. Like it's it comes in so different types and, mm-hmm. and forms and shapes. So it's not only related to an economic or, or social situation at all. Mm-hmm. Safa, I appreciate you sharing a piece there of your personal experience with poverty and with the broken relationships. Clearly, when I even read your your introduction, there's much of your work that is connected to and probably born out of your personal experience. You know, when we think about what we're going to talk about today, there's so many different directions that we could go. I would love it if we could spend some time specifically talking about conflict sensitivity and how does that relate to poverty and the work we do even at Food for the Hungry. Absolutely. Thank you. Conflict sensitivity could be defined as a systematic approach that guides organizations in understanding a context of conflict mm-hmm. and then mitigating the potential negative impacts of their interventions on, a, on the conflict dynamics, overall conflict dynamics. Being conflict sensitive is very important, especially if we're implementing activities in a context of conflict, Mm -hmm. such as Ethiopia, where we, uh, as Food for the Hungry, also work. Mm -hmm. Given the country's complex and diverse ethnic and political and social landscape with various Mm -hmm. roots, uh, causes of conflicts, we need to understand all of this and then become aware of them so we could implement our activities without exacerbating the existing brokenness or broken relationship or division Mm -hmm. between community members or different communities or create new ones over the resources and the services Mm. that we provide. Mm -hmm. So basically, complex sensitivity helps us instead of like contributing to war to contribute mm-hmm. to peace building and the positive outcomes of our interventions because we don't want to be impacting the social cohesion of any community negatively. Right, right. You mentioned Ethiopia. This year, I know you wrote a guidance document called Conflict Sensitivity as a Second Language in Ethiopia. Can you... Correct. Tell me, tell us a little bit about the background of this document and why it's so important. Oh, absolutely. So it all started through my support to our Ethiopia team uh, while we are implementing RIFSA. And RIFSA is like a Brazilian food security activity kind of program Mm -hmm. uh, that we partnered with USAID on. So basically, it all started through that. Mm -hmm. And since they're implementing the activities um, for multiple years and then the the conflict outbroke uh, again a few years ago, we thought that just to ensure that our implementation is not going to be uh, causing any harm, Mm -hmm. we need to take or to add on that kind of a conflict-sensitive lens. 
So this document that you have mentioned really came as a fruit of a really meaningful and in-depth engagement with our Ethiopia team and with our partners there and even with the community. Mm -hmm. And it took us months of raising awareness around the topic, of course, through training, mentoring, shadowing, uh, coaching, so on and so forth, and as well as an in-depth focus group discussions and meetings and etc. And then we thought, as FH, we could contribute to all of those amazing local organizations or international ones trying to really support the communities in a, in a context of conflicts um, in Ethiopia mm-hmm. by providing them with the, with the guidance notes. So this came as after months and months of like work. Um, of like engaging and, and trying to implement or add on that kind of a conflict sensitive lens into all of the activities that we are doing there mm-hmm. and and just what what are the takeaways from from those kind of uh, engagement with a conflict sensitive lens so when we apply a gender and a conflict and cultural sensitive lens what are the outcomes, what what worked, what didn't, mm-hmm. all of the positive outcomes. And we put together some of the tools. Some of them are known uh, and used by other organizations before. And others, we just, it came out of a kind of a collective collaboration between mm-hmm. us, our team in Ethiopia and our uh, partners there. And this this is very much the fruit that came out of mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very beneficial and it's rich with many tools that could be used in multiple levels from the designing phase into implementation and later on monitoring and evaluation. So it's Mm -hmm. good. Um, I would be interested to explore that a little bit more in terms of what those phases are. Now, I I heard you mention the use of focus groups, and I'm assuming mm -hmm. that that's part of the first step where you are assessing the situation and analyzing, what other components happen early on in this conflict sensitivity process? Absolutely. So the very first thing that we need to do is to understand the context. We cannot really implement any activities without that step. Mm-hmm. Understanding that the context could be through those focus group discussions just to, to see it, like in each and every location what is the context? Because a lot of a lot of people, especially the the media and the news, you hear people say the situation in Ethiopia is. And to mm. me, that's like I right away I jump and I'm like, that's a lie. You cannot really generalize. Mm-hmm. Once the, any kind of a conflict erupts in an area, each location becomes very unique mm-hmm. be, due to the fact that it has a very unique and different conflict dynamics that takes on and the power dynamics vary from one location to another. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to dig deeper into each of the locations where we implement our activities. Once we understand the context and the context of conflict in particular, we go into understanding dividers and connectors. And Hmm. these are what we call, of course, dividers is what it sounds like. It's what right. you know separates people, uh-huh. connectors, what brings them together. Uh-huh. What I really like the term that we use is local capacities for peace and war. 
these mm. this is like a more kind of a powerful way to put out or to understand the dividers and connectors mm-hmm. is to understand the local capacities for mm-hmm. peace and war mm. and then we move forward we go from there and all of our designing and of interventions or implementation becomes informed because mm-hmm. we want that kind of a informed decision making process we cannot just implement everything that we know everywhere and just assume it's going to work it doesn't mm-hmm. work like that mm-hmm. especially in a context of conflict mm-hmm. so we start by that kind of a in-depth understanding mm-hmm. and we cannot do that without our local team mm-hmm. and local partners and of course our shareholders which are our direct partners and which very much are the communities right mm-hmm. so we do that kind of engagement to understand their point of view, what's really going on mm-hmm. in that location from also their perspective and consider it, take it into consideration. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me that you are really focusing on cultural sensitivity, on specific issues for a specific area. Which, to me, makes so much sense because, like you said, you can't apply something broad and general to an entire country, never mind even a community. Um, Do you have any examples that you could share of how maybe one area differs from another or something that would move this from kind of that more theoretical description to something that's more on a, a practical experiential level? Absolutely. It's a, I will give a very simple example that mm-hmm. could be applied everywhere. Thank so you. in an area, in an area where you have IDPs, internally displaced people, and a lot of times we witness those kind of a with time and as the, the conflict goes on and it takes a very long time, we start witnessing some kind of a brokenness or a conflict or tense uh, relationships that mm. might erupt every now and then between the internally displaced people and the host community. Mm-hmm. Because we're dealing with a country that's suffering from conflict. So it gets impacted on all mm-hmm. levels, especially mm-hmm. soci- socially and economically. So if we look um, uh, at, at that situation, at the beginning of any conflict, the host communities welcome any internally displaced people, right? right. And then later on and with time, that really changes because th- mm-hmm. they have their own risks that they're suffering from and needs especially mm-hmm. and social economic needs that they are also suffering from. So any kind of a service that's being provided to the internally displaced without considering the host community, that might impact the relationship and worsen right. it between the host and the internally displaced. So you have that, you know, one example in, mm-hmm. in one location that could be in Ethiopia, and it is in Ethiopia in one of the places, especially Metekel and, and other locations. And you have other types of kind of a conflicts that might come from like discrimination. A mm. group is uh, discriminating another or uh, one group is being marginalized 
um, and further marginalized because of their uh, skin tone, because of their uh, mm. social status, because of anything, mm-hmm. um, uh, their their identity. So that might be going on for a while within one area, and then a conflict erupts. In, mm-hmm. in that location and because of a lot of the organizations they go to a certain location and they do needs assessment without taking the local capacities for peace and war into consideration the dividers and connectors mm-hmm. and perhaps they find out or due to their having a, an office in a certain area um, and uh, their procedures only allow them to travel certain kilometers within those like that area especially Mm -hmm. taking into consideration safety and security so perhaps unintentionally they might be serving a certain group of people Mm -hmm. and not including other community members and those community members might be already marginalized Mm -hmm. and that furthers their marginalization so because they're not considered they're not it's not intentional A lot of the things that we do are, we do it from like a good heart with good intention. (laughs) We want to help people. But (laughs) when we don't consider those kind of things, especially details, this happens and it might worsen the situation for certain community or or groups in the community. Mm -hmm. So these are, could be applied anywhere. And I Mm -hmm. gave you two examples that we really witnessed in Ethiopia, like working in Ethiopia as well. Yes. Yes. In two different locations. Well, and that you point out the critical role that an NGO can play in, like you said, being a connector or a divider themselves Correct. based on some of the decisions that, that we make. Um, yeah, that's that's very significant. So, Safa, there's a lot of analysis that you've talked about. There's a lot of information gathering. There's a lot of awareness building in the early stages of this conflict sensitivity process. Once that assessing and analyzing has taken place, what happens next? So we take all of the assessments and the understanding of the context and then we try to look at our own interventions with a conflict sensitive lens and mm-hmm. ask one, one very simple question for each and every step no matter how big or small it is, mm-hmm. will this be impacting the context negatively or positively? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be impacting the economy within that location positively or negatively? The right. relationships, so on and so forth. Am I going to be exacerbating the situation for a marginalized groups in a certain area? Am I going to be impacting that positively or negatively? Am I excluding people or including people? As I'm listening to this, what I'm hearing you say is that you've effectively created a filter and everything you do needs to be run through that filter to determine if it is being sensitive in all of these different ways, whether it's socially or economically. And that then becomes part of the the way you build projects or programs, or um, am I am I correct? Am I hearing you correctly? One hundred percent. So mm. once you apply that kind of a lens 
And mm-hmm. I, I always tell anybody that I engage with, especially the people that I train, once you know, you cannot unknow. <laughs> right. It. It's like it becomes, <laughs> right. it, be- it becomes a part of who we are. Um, mm. And we need to like phase away from the traditional way of like implementing and being more sensitive towards the situation. Mm-hmm. So for instance, we, we often use selection criteria, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the things. And we did create organizations had to very much put together or use selection criteria due to the fact that it doesn't matter how much um, resources we have, the need is always higher. So right. we have to select someone to to serve. And it's like a sad truth, but it's also a reality. Mm-hmm. So once we do that kind of selection process, who are we excluding And by excluding that someone or a group of people, are we really impacting the Mm -hmm. context? And Mm -hmm. is that impact negative or positive? Mm -hmm. So these are very critical questions that we go through. Mm -hmm. So that filter that you have mentioned is very important and it's crucial and it's very detailed oriented. Every mm-hmm. single time we went out, like it doesn't matter how small it is, um, you wouldn't imagine how small things that might impact the context negatively mm-hmm. uh, might be, could be very small and believe it or not, mitigating those are very simple sometimes. It could be applied through a, a very simple approach or change of way of how we engage with the community. Sometimes as simple as that. Mm-hmm. How do we really prepare them for all of the services that we want to provide for them? Mm-hmm. And how do we in, like do that kind of engagement, being humble and, and just respect them, respect the culture, being mm-hmm. uh, taken into consideration their culture and, and being like building all of our activities to become culturally appropriate. It's not something small that we do, but also it could build that kind of relationship, enhance the mm-hmm. uh, a trust between us and the community. And there, it's not going to be a top-down approach anymore. It's part right. of the way right. that we implement through a localization kind of a lens as well, mm-hmm. engaging with them, respecting them, uh, help them and, and take that kind of a live, not impact their living with dignity uh, negatively mm-hmm. either. So just consider all of the different aspects. You know, Safa, it reminds me, going right back to where we started today when you were offering basically your definition of poverty or how poverty is so complex. And you talked about how relationships are broken and the relationships leading that are broken lead to the experience of poverty in so many different ways and what i hear you saying here is that solutions are also based in relationship they're based in knowing people and respecting people and giving people dignity so that they can feel heard and and drawn into the process. Something isn't being done to them, it's with and coming alongside. Absolutely. So it's very much elevating their voices Hmm. and co-creating the solutions Hmm. that you have mentioned with them, not Mm -hmm. despite of them or just, you know, we know how to do this and we've done it in X um, uh, context. So we come into any other context and assume that it's going to work. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work that way. Right. 
Right. So from a practical perspective, how, how do you involve people? How, how do you build trust with people in this process so that they want to participate, so that they want their voice to be heard? So we start by thinking of our own local staff. So having a local staff in a Mm -hmm. a certain place or team members is very crucial. Mm -hmm. And if you want to apply a conflict-sensitive lens into that, and you're studying a certain location and understanding the context there, then make sure that any staff member that's going to engage with the community, one, they know that this person knows the community, he or she know mm. the community really well. Mm-hmm. And two, that they're not going to be, you know, um, looking at them as if like, no, we cannot trust this person. We cannot engage mm. with them. So that the identity of our frontliners mm-hmm. is very important at, mm-hmm. at this stage of engaging with the community. Mm-hmm. And we know that building trust takes time. Like, we don't just go to a community and assume, you know what, they trust us. No, just because they need us or they Mm. need the support that we're providing. There's this kind of arrogant approach of Mm -hmm. some organizations that I have witnessed through my, um, you know, years of of experience and implementing um, or engaging with communities, especially in Syria and Lebanon and et cetera, through that Mm -hmm. kind of phase or era. I have witnessed a lot of arrogance of, of like onto how do we really approach community and engage with them. So engaging with humility is mm. key. Mm-hmm. Taking baby steps. So I'm a I'm a firm believer in just prepare eight, take eight steps of preparation and two mm-hmm. steps of execution. I'm that mm. kind of person. Okay. So preparation to me is key. Mm-hmm. And that kind of engagement that you have mentioned is very important in the preparation phase, mm. building the trust and engaging with them. So they need to really know and get um, familiar of who they're working with and the intention of the person. So we need to be very transparent mm-hmm. with them and, and we need to let them know for how long, what type of activities, why are we there and um, why are we collecting all of this data and mm. um, hopefully engage and collaborate with the rest of organizations, other organizations, mm-hmm. implementing activities in one location mm-hmm. so we don't exhaust the communities. Right. I have really witnessed this, if I may share something please. from Lebanon. Yes, please. So. After the the explosion that happened in Beirut, I believe three years ago, mm-hmm. so um, a lot of the organizations jumped to help, which is awesome, but they exhausted the community. Every two seconds, somebody is knocking on someone's door that got impacted by the explosion, asking them, what's your name? How many people are living? How? What is the impact oh. in your home? So every two seconds, somebody else would knock on the, some, mm. a, an, another representative from another organization would come and knock on the people's doors uh, without, take, without considering the trauma mm. that these people went through. Mm-hmm. People in conflict or who have been subjected to a huge shock 
such as explosions or so on and so forth, they're mm-hmm. traumatized. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be adding on into this kind of a trauma. So right. tra- being trauma-informed and sensitive to the situation is very important. Mm-hmm. And that kind of a collaboration between different organizations create that. So instead of going at each group, like mm-hmm. certain representatives from certain organizations would go to those people that got impacted in a way or another, just collaborate on that level and go together, form mm-hmm. a team mm-hmm. and approach the community like with with this information and tell them like be transparent we are going to be using this information for abc just be super transparent with Mm -hmm. them that really avoids the another broken relationship between us and the people that we serve that might happen down the road Mm -hmm. conflict sensitivity gives us that kind of a lens Mm it's just it equips people and frontliners with all of those details so they could be approaching the communities and engaging with them with mm-hmm. humility and, and just safeguarding the dignity of the communities. Mm-hmm. That's such yeah. a powerful example of how well-meaning, well-intentioned people, organizations can do harm and mm-hmm. and think that, that there's help being delivered, but and and to realize that all it—I shouldn't say all because it's not a small thing—but um, to share information, to collaborate, and to work together can have so much less traumatic impact on a community. One hundred percent. Yes. Hmm. Um, Safa, I know that once things are implemented, that there is a big focus on the monitoring and the evaluation and the adaptation of, of presence and programs. Can you speak to that a little bit as we uh, finish up our time together? Absolutely. And monitoring and evaluation and learning, that's how I, I love mm. to look at it mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. So our, our teams that go and engage with the community and try to follow the steps of the implementation, they, they do a lot of pre and post and so on and so forth mm-hmm. to measure um, the impacts, right? Mm-hmm. So we take all of the lessons sometimes. Um, we wait too long till the end of the project to to mm-hmm. dig out all of the learning points. Right. What, what, uh, what we have worked together, like with our team uh, in Ethiopia, especially, is that to learn right on the spot hmm. and adapt and change. So, if we witness or notice something mm-hmm. that is going on, we report on it right away, mm-hmm. and then we we engage with the with the uh, like a program manager, so we could correct certain things that we think they might lead to um, hmm. doing a certain type of harm. On mm-hmm. any level, um, that that involves the implementation, even if it's as small as like hearing a community member saying a certain person um, of your team had done ABC. So there's like a, some sort of like a brokenness or mis- mm. that they don't trust that person or mm-hmm. something went goes on or is going on. So we go and further investigate, and sometimes we do the correction right on the spot. We don't mm. have to wait all the way until the end of the project to redesign. Mm-hmm. And that's been um, 
very persistent with our team. They're, they're doing really a great job hmm. into doing all of this and reporting even the smallest things that mm-hmm. could be corrected on mm-hmm. the spot. Well, those small things are the become the root of the big things, right? They, Absolutely. So if they're addressed yes. immediately, that just makes so much sense. Absolutely, because we don't want to be adding more oil into the fire. Mm. Just the the little things that become big, as, as you have mentioned down the road, mm-hmm. could be corrected right away. And some of them are really, you know, small, very minor mm. kind of uh, uh, correction that could also avoid us from bringing more resources and et cetera for peace building later on or conflict yes. resolution or right. we don't need to do that. So even the peace processes, if there's any or peace uh, uh, reconciliation or any of the, of the kind of efforts that might happen in one area, small things like that that might erupt a certain conflict will interrupt the peace processes mm. that mm-hmm. are taking place in multiple uh, places. So complex sensitivity gives us that, and that's the role of our monitoring and evaluation teams on Mm -hmm. on the ground, especially frontliners. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is um, a a continuous kind of improving uh, practice through learning and adaptation. So it's an ongoing process. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't follow the traditional ways of following the monitoring and evaluation Mm -hmm. cycles that... We, we usually implement, but mm-hmm. we add or paying attention to all of those details so we could correct, adapt and improve right on the spot and learn from it for later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Safa, I really appreciate you taking time to be here today. I appreciate hearing and learning. I, I am just sitting here marveling at thinking about the staff who are coming alongside community members in these uh, conflict situations and the, for lack of a better word, the sensitivity, the awareness that you have in order to be present. And maybe that's really what I'm trying to get at is the presence that you are sensitive to those small things, to the bigger things and to the learning along the way. I mean, I think that ties back to when you said earlier that it's very much a posture of humility in in the coming alongside. Absolutely, could I agree more? Mm-hmm. If I uh, before we wrap up, I might mm-hmm. like share with you and please. end this on a like a positive note. Yes, um, please I share with you an, an example of how really our team members put their knowledge into practice in one of the situations. Mm-hmm. As um, a sudden increase in population happened when we were serving internally displaced people in Metakel zone in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. When some of the local population returned to the area in which we were providing wash activities, water sanitation, hygiene promotion activities, mm-hmm. combined with the impact of climate change um, in, in that area and drought, it created a severe water shortage, hmm. deteriorating the sanitation facilities and hygiene challenges within the camp itself. 
uh, repatriates or the people who were living in an area left it and came back to it were unfamiliar very much. They weren't familiar when they returned with the collaborative water management practices that we were doing in that one location. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had caused tensions between them and the internally displaced people. Mm. claiming you know territory like this mm-hmm. is our water our facilities our etc mm-hmm. so our field team in in ethiopia which my they're really my heroes mm-hmm. they put their knowledge of conflict sensitivity and do no harm along with their knowledge on resilience and conflict resolution into practice mm-hmm. So what we did back then is that we boosted absorptive capacities to deal with the water shortage by supplying new wells and and access to water points. Hmm. And we worked through the WASH cluster committee Mm -hmm. and donors to scale this, to scale up. So we, we very much worked on strengthening adaptive and transformative capacity Mm -hmm. by creating water user committees that that were formed from the elderly in the area, speaking of being culturally oh, sensitive and being yes, aware. Yes. The elderly in the area are respected and, and heard and listened to. Hmm. So we formed those kind of committees so they could very much mitigate any kind of a potential conflict that might erupt hmm. later on. And that really transformed the relationship between the different two communities, the returnees and the uh, IDPs and avoided conflict through conflict-sensitive hmm. approaches. And then a focus on social cohesion by putting the community in the driver's seat. They mm-hmm. took charge, they were in charge, and they were facilitating the uh, conflict transformation between the two different com- communities. If anything of these interventions were done without the other, it would mm-hmm. not have promoted resilience as right. strongly Right. Such an integrated approach. It is. It is. And our our team took that and really did it in a beautifully and beautiful way. Hmm. And it's like we always need to address the immediate shocks through Mm -hmm. absorptive while promoting positive adaptation and transformation uh, and transforming relationships to address the accumulating risks of conflict, climate, mm. water, uh, shortage, etc. Mm-hmm. in a way that addresses people's needs and contributes to their safety and living with dignity. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the examples that they really, they took it to the heart. They took mm-hmm. everything they know. Mm-hmm. And our team members really put it into practice. And this beautiful example happened. And they really did that kind of a transformation. They transformed the conflict mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. by using the local capacities for peace that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. and their knowledge about the culture and what's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And they really worked and engaged with the community. So they become in charge of what and they what what's really happening and they transformed that broken relationship and um, made it better in mm. in a situation that's you know it's, it's really bad mm-hmm. <laughs> with very the water volatile. shortage and yes. conflict very yeah yeah absolutely. very much so well thank you so much for that beautiful example so that we can end on that note you have shared so many things today that are applicable yes in Ethiopia 
but here in Canada, in our own families as well. So much practical wisdom that you have um, blessed us with today. So thank you so much, Safa. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Shannon. Appreciate you so much for having me and for having this conversation with me. Appreciate our time together. Mm-hmm. Such a blessing. To explore what your next steps could be, or to find out more about FH Canada, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.